Welcome to another episode of the 10th and L podcast brought to you by True North Church in Anchorage, Alaska. My name is Philip Coleman and I'm joined today by Mike Ottenweller. Mike, how are you? I'm doing well, Philip. Thanks. Yeah, glad to have you on the podcast. Um, Last week, if you're just tuning in, uh, we discussed kind of the general 10,000 foot view of what it means to be an elder at True North Church. How do you become an elder? How do we select elder candidates? Things like that. I was able to talk to Ian Johannes, another one of our elders in that conversation. So I'd recommend that you go back and listen to that before you listen to today's episode, just so you have kind of a primer on the categories and kinds of things we're going to be speaking about. Um, The reason I want you to do that is because today's podcast episode is going to be an interview with Mike, who you just heard from. Mike is our newest and currently our only elder candidate at True North. And so uh, Mike's going to get a little bit into his story, um, his family of origin, a little bit, how he met the Lord. And then we're going to move into uh, how he became an elder candidate. What does that process look like at True North? And what have we done as elders, myself, Scott Belmore, Ian Johannes, to walk with Mike and his family um, between kind of his name initially being recommended and then uh, just a couple of days ago being able to announce to the church that he is now publicly a candidate. So, Mike, we're going to hear mostly from you today. Uh, I'd love, if you don't mind, for you to just start us at the beginning. Uh, Where do you come from and what was your family dynamic like? And if you could kind of connect those dots to your initial encounter with Jesus, I think that would be helpful for us. Yeah, right on. Uh, excited to be here and uh, looking forward to, to opening this up with you. Um, so I was uh, born and raised in Grand Rapids, Michigan, West Michigan, and uh, have a big family, um, big Catholic family. My parents are from the Midwest and kept us in the Midwest. Um, I have three older sisters and a younger brother. And yeah, uh, pretty pretty standard upbringing, I would say. Um, pretty Fun in West Michigan, definitely um, lots of outside time and things like that. Um, but having three older sisters and a younger brother was a great balance for me. Um, looking back, I've seen how it shaped me in many ways. Hmm. Um, but yeah, we grew up in a Catholic family too. Um, and so, you know, church on Sundays and, uh, you know, sometimes praying at dinner, things like that. But um, going through, you know, First Communion and infant baptism and those sort of things. Um, so yeah, it was, uh, it was, um, you know, pretty, pretty good upbringing. Um, and you know, kind of, kind of, uh, just fun with a big family, lots of sports and those sort of things. Yeah. So, um, if you can briefly, and I want you to be as charitable here as you want to be, um, would you say that, cause I think there's kind of different categories of Catholicism in America, in the West, um, would you say that for your mom and dad, at least, that their faith was genuine, or or were, was it more nominal than that? Was it more social for you guys? Just to give us a little bit of insight of kind of what the what was the mood like? Did you guys take your Catholicism really seriously, or were you just there because you felt that you needed to be? Sure, yeah. Um, I, I think it was it was kind of a, a mix between the two, and it definitely changed over the course of my life. I think growing up early on, you know, before ten years old or something. I was just kind of going through mm-hmm. a lot of the motions, especially mm-hmm. with things like First Communion and catechism and things like yeah. that. Um, we didn't oftentimes bring a lot of those faith-based discussions home. Mm-hmm. I won't say that the Bible was often read in our house. Um, like I said, we would pray, but it was typically the you know some of the rehearsed prayers yeah. of the Catholic Church and stuff like that. Um, the Glory Be and 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 I can't even remember the one that you say before meals, um, but those type of things and. 
Um, so yeah, it was mostly a Sunday thing and not a lot of emphasis on uh, every other day of the week and a lot, not a lot of emphasis on the personal relationship. But like I said, that kind of changed over time because, and this, you know, this dovetails into where, where I think we'll go. Mm-hmm. But um, as I went into adolescent stages and, and got to start to experience more of the world and meet new friends and see what other Christians and Catholics um, started to, uh, how, how they live their life, that was when I started to kind of bring more of that home. And that became really interesting conversations with both of my parents, but especially my mom. Okay, so let's talk about that then next. Um, as you grow older, I think this is often the case with kids, you probably begin to gain some independence. Uh, you're obviously part of a big family, so it's hard for mom and dad to be too overprotective of anybody at any one time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so as you begin to develop, not just as Mike, who is the child of his mom and dad and the sibling of his siblings, but as his own individual person, um, talk to us about kind of your self-awareness, your awareness of this Catholic thing. I know a little bit of your story. I know that you kind of had a, maybe your initial genuine encounter with Jesus was outside of the Catholic church. How'd you get there? And, and talk to us about that. If yeah. You would. Yeah. No, um, uh, it was, it was interesting because it was a little bit through friends, but also I think my sister was kind of going on a similar walk. So hmm. not my oldest sister and not the one that's next above me, but the one in between those two. Um, she's about five years older than me. And uh, as I started to see other people living their faith out, mostly in high school, because I was homeschooled from fifth through eighth grade. But in high school, I actually went to a, a small private Catholic or uh, Christian school hmm. and watching some of my friends and seeing the way they lived their lives and seeing what they talked about and seeing how they prayed and what they were reading and just, you know, the way that they orchestrated themselves. When I saw that, it started to kind of, you know, raise some more questions for me and connecting some dots. You know, I went to some summer camps where mm-hmm. they had altar calls and things like that. And those were powerful in the moment, but didn't necessarily have lasting value, I would say, in my life. I don't think I would connect any of those moments to anything substantial. But okay. but as I, as I met those friends, um, my sister kind of started to take note of where my heart was starting to shift towards and the questions that I was starting to ask and the interests that I was starting to have in faith and in Jesus. And so she kind of took me under her wing. Hmm. Um, she was starting to go to a different church that was outside of the Catholic church um, and invited me along with her. It was called Ada Bible Church um, in, for Ada, Michigan, and invited me along with her. And initially it was because of the worship that I just hmm. found so much energy and joy and enthusiasm and authenticity hmm. through the worship. Mm-hmm. And that really, really like stuck, struck me. And, um, and then you know, of course, after that, listening to pastors preach was totally different than listening to the two standard readings and then the gospel <laughs> yeah. and then the sermon every Sunday in this very, you know, structured fashion that yeah. you would see at a Catholic church. So, okay. Um, what was, what were your parents' perspectives? I don't want to go all the way down that rabbit trail, but were they open to, as long as you guys were going to church somewhere, was that okay? Or how did they navigate that with you? Yeah, I think so. And again, because they were kind of hands off through the week, you know, I don't think that they were overly, you know, uh, assertive or, or, uh, you know, um, you know, micromanaging, if you want to say of, Hey, what are you guys doing here? What's this going on? Yeah. Mostly if we were involved somewhere, they were pretty excited about that. But I think more than anything, it actually started to raise questions in Mm -hmm. a healthy way, Mm -hmm. not questions like what the heck are you doing? But questions (laughs) like, Oh, okay. Why, why is that better? Or why is Mm -hmm. that more interesting to Mm -hmm. you? 
Um, which then again facilitated more conversations with my mom. And when you're a teenager, those conversations are not always um, uh, without emotion. Um, <laughs> so we, yeah, I can recall some pretty fiery conversations with my sister and my mom, and even with myself and my mom over those over those adolescent years, um, because you know you're like you said, becoming who you are as yeah. an individual. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was as long as we were involved, they were pretty happy, and I think it was almost that we were becoming more involved in a way that that's really when it started to pique their interest and say like, oh, okay, like why do you want to, if it was a choice on a Sunday morning between going with the family to the Catholic church or going with my sister to the other church, the non-denominational church, what's, why, yeah. why, what's the motivation there? Yeah. Okay. Uh, would you say at this point, um, and this is my last question about your your family of origin. We can move on from here. But would you say that your parents have have there been lasting impacts, lasting effects of you and your at least one other sibling finding your church home in the Protestant world instead of the Catholic Church world? I I think so. Yeah, I pray that that's the case. Yeah, I mean, my parents are in their mid seventies now, and mm-hmm. we have these conversations still. And of course, I have my own children now. Yeah, and raising yeah. them and. And they, you know, no longer see me, I don't think, as a child, of course, but uh-huh. now as their grown son and stuff who lives far, far away from them. <laughs> but but um, I think it, it definitely has led to better conversations. And I'm hopeful that, you know, those conversations have borne fruit in their lives. Yeah. I don't, I'm not there on a day-to-day basis sure. to, to, you know, to see how that works. But when we go on vacations together or when I'm writing my dad a letter or having a long conversation with my mom, these kind of things come up and they are very understanding and appreciative of where my faith is. And it definitely opens the door when I express, you know, that my children are interested in baptism or when I say that I really feel like God is moving in this area in my life, that really opens the door for a deeper conversation. And, you know, maybe not that, not that they're not deep in their faith, but it maybe just kind of opens that Catholic door a little bit more to that yeah. Protestant world. And and I think that that's, it's been good. I, I hope that it's borne fruit in their lives as much as it has certainly for me. Yeah. And I think it's typical for, for many of us, especially when we change our physical location as we grow older, I think it's typical for us to at least try other traditions of Christianity, you know, and, and a lot of times our relationships lead us to a specific church. We know somebody and they invite us along and they say, oh yeah, I know you're new to town, but you got to try this church or try that church. And then when we find our fit, we tend to kind of, I don't know, we almost become aware of the distinctives of that church as a secondary issue to whether or not we just feel that we fit there, right? And I think that our parents know that about us. As we as we grow up, the same things that they value, that they found in the Catholic Church, their community, a, a social setting, a place to raise their kids, um, we find those things oftentimes outside of that tradition, and I think that that's appropriate and, and something that they can see value in, even if they might still prefer that you be hailing Mary and, you know, things right. like that. Yeah. So, yeah. And yep. I'm sure they pray for you as well. I know my mom and dad pray for me like crazy, even though we differ in some areas theologically too. Well, and now that I have a nearly 10 year old, I definitely can start to see the lens starting to kind of come back on itself a little bit that if, if my son didn't, my oldest son didn't want to necessarily come to true North per se, but was still actively pursuing his faith in Jesus through a different church, I don't think I would have any issues with that whatsoever. In fact, maybe even encourage it because it means that he's growing in his own ways. And I think that that's super healthy. And that's how obviously you become a functioning adult in the world. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, good. Okay. So we know where you came from. We know that 
by way of your sister's influence, you found your way into a non-denominational Protestant church. Um, if there's anything else you want to say about encountering Jesus in that setting, feel free. But take us from that point in the life story of Mike Ottenweller to the point where you met Karen. Talk to us a little bit about God beginning to build your family as an adult man, as a father, as a husband. Let yeah. us know. Yeah, no. Um, probably one of my favorite things to talk about because um, Karen's pretty awesome. Um, but um, so I looked at different colleges for the sake of doing Air Force ROTC, Reserved Officers Training Corps, um, mm-hmm. so that you can become a commissioned officer. And there was not very many in my neck of the woods that offered a degree in meteorology and okay. the Air Force ROTC. So anyways, I landed at Valparaiso University um, back in 2004. And it wasn't long. Uh, and and it, Valpo is a Lutheran school by name, but you know, in, in actual practice, it was very, you know, very loosely affiliated. Yeah, like, just a school. Right. There yeah. was a chapel on campus. Okay. And yes, there were theology classes and things like that. But it was mostly a secular university with a, with a, a label on it. And yeah. That, you know, that was fine. Um, and so freshman year, I met Karen. And she doesn't remember meeting me quite as well as I remember meeting her. Um, but I remember meeting her. <laughs> and so... Uh, you were just one of the many boys who yes, met Karen Ottenweller. And, Karen yeah. Wallace at the time. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yep. of course. <laughs> yeah. And so, um, and so it was awesome. It was, uh, you know, freshman year in college, I think, is a pretty exciting time for just about anybody, you know, trying not to fail out of calculus class yeah. while at the same time. Um, you know, learning where the best food is at which chow halls and stuff and seeing where the cute girls live and things like that around campus. So anyways, Karen definitely caught my attention freshman year. Um, and then I asked her to come visit uh, West Michigan. She lived in Ohio and I asked her to come visit West Michigan um, and, you know, just just hang out for a long weekend sometime. You and guys weren't dating at that point. Correct. You were not. We were not. Okay. We were not dating. Yep. Yep. So there was definitely, you know, there was definitely a a keen level of awareness that maybe this was (laughs) becoming something. Yeah. So she came up to visit and yeah, it was, it was basically at that time that we started dating. And, uh, and as we started sophomore year, that upcoming school season, we, we definitely made it official that we were dating at that point. Um, however, she chose immediately to go to England to study abroad. Oh, wow. Um, cool, Karen. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. I was pretty cool, actually. <laughs> um, so she knew I was involved, of course, with the Air Force mm-hmm. and that that would take me places. But at the same time, she, you know, she was pursuing her own adventures. And mm-hmm. and it was just really, I, I think, in some ways, I noticed her faith, um, first and foremost, uh, that that she... I mean, she was, we had a Sunday night service at the campus that was like genuine, authentic, legit candlelight service. And that was, that was a really special service. And I know she was always at that. And she had like a a group that met for like a women's Bible study and stuff. And so I just kind of observed from a distance that first year, but the second year, of course, when we were dating, it was just amazing to get to know her better Mm -hmm. and get to you know, start to walk a little bit of life together and stuff. Um, yeah. And so then she went sophomore spring season. She went off to England for four months and got to enjoy studying abroad. And I did go over to meet her on spring break. 
and things just you know continue to get more serious and uh and then we continue to date into our junior year but i had a lot of obligations for the air force in the summer times and mm-hmm. things like that so anyways um then junior spring season i went to germany to study abroad and that was awesome but we got used to doing relationship and dating close together you know on campus but mm-hmm. we also got used to living our lives um separate you know doing the doing the distance dating thing and that was tough but i think ultimately god was at work setting us up for what was to come in the future okay good thanks for that insight uh so get us from there to you guys if i remember correctly you made it to alaska and you were not yet married right and that was kind of an interesting how those details worked out yeah yeah um it was pretty cool actually and that's you know sitting here nearly 20 years later and looking back on it it's you know i was i was hiking with a buddy the last couple days and we were talking about how a hike oftentimes unveils itself when you come around the next crag or you come up a new gully you can see what the next thing is in front of you yeah but god knew that thing was there the whole time Mm -hmm. and it's we were talking about how that you know parallels life that god knows these things but you don't see them until you come around the next the next crevice or whatever and so, um, and so looking back on it now, uh, we both graduated at the same time, but I was immediately taken with the Air Force up to, to Alaska and mm-hmm. to J-Bear or what used to just be Elmendorf. And um, that was my first choice on my wish list, okay. my dream list that you get to fill out. And Karen and I filled out the wish list a little bit together, but also knowing that we were not engaged at the time, that okay. we would likely be going separate directions for yeah. a period of time and just trusting that that was okay, just trusting that God was going to do what he was going to do. Mm-hmm. Um, but we definitely had a lot of conversations junior and senior year about, you know, if, if this was to be a forever thing, um, what that would look like. And so I moved up here in July of 2004, and Karen went and started teaching elementary education in inner city Chicago. And that's what her degree was in. Yeah. And um, yeah, once again, we were far apart from each other. So we navigated that, um, kind of like we had done with the study abroad programs, but we navigated being apart from each other, and it wasn't easy. And here I am starting to embrace life in Alaska and out in the mountains yeah. and fishing for salmon and you know living 24 hours of daylight and stuff like that. And she's in inner city Chicago with a bunch of roommates, girlfriends, and you know living kind of a suburban inner yeah, city life. Different, yeah, different. Yeah, 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 urban life. Not mm-hmm. suburban, but urban life. And uh, yeah pretty stark contrast and then i was traveling all over the place with the air force and stuff i think she was the smarter of the two um i mean i could say that in a lot of instances but specifically in that instance she was the smarter of the two of us and that she knew if that went on too long that there would probably be diminishing returns Mm -hmm. and so the next summer the summer of 2005 she quit her job packed up her things and decided that she was going to apply for jobs in alaska and so we both attended my sister's, one of my sister's weddings in August of 2005. And then we started to drive the Alcan Highway together. And from like Dairy Queen parking lots, she would take interviews for teacher positions Holy at cow. Tudor Elementary, <laughs> at Rabbit Creek, yeah. at wherever they were calling her. And we would have to time it because back in 2005, you didn't have great cell phone service all the way, especially once you got into Canada. Mm-hmm. So we would have to time our trip and our locations so that she could be in a quiet parking lot while she's trying to plan her future yeah. professionally. Yeah. And it was it was pretty cool, but there was a lot of faith going on there, a lot mm-hmm. of stepping out in faith to mm-hmm. to make that happen. But no, we were not engaged at that time. She was just 
taking a huge leap of faith. Oh yeah, that coming here yeah. would hmm. bear fruit. Hmm. Okay, so you guys obviously are married now. You live here. You've lived here. I think since that time, more or less. What I know there was maybe a stint in Oregon. Am I making that up? So there's two. So catch us up. So Karen, you guys make the drive. She makes those phone calls. I'm assuming she gets a job. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yep. Okay. Yep, that's correct. And then get us from there to the wedding day. And then kind of, if you can, work us through those first few rounds of um, having to move and then move again. And then eventually you get back to here. Get us back to um, this I guess this last streak of years in Anchorage, and if you can kind of connect that to getting to know True North, how you got to the church, some of that. And that's a lot to get yeah, to. But yeah, yeah. Gave me that. a lot of connections. Let me see yeah. if I can get my way <laughs> through the rapids here. So, um, so we uh, got engaged mm-hmm. in 2007, in January of 2007, and I would say the pressure. I'm sure. Probably plenty of guys can relate to this. The pressure was definitely on. Yeah. It was kind of like not do or die. And she never, ever gave me an ultimatum or anything like that. But the pressure was on. You know, she had moved here to be with me and uh-huh. she really wanted to be That's with me. That's fair. That's a fair pressure to exert. Absolutely. I think. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So we, at the time, we were in, um, I think we were at Change Point. And they started doing a, uh, they started doing a, like a couples mentoring type thing. Mm-hmm. And we landed with a mentor couple who we still communicate with. On occasion, um, but they were an older couple. They had grown kids, and they were just super wise, and they mm-hmm. were super deep in their faith. And I remember they, they they came over for dinner one night to my place, and um, just had this amazing conversation that kind of was the crux of me feeling the Holy Spirit just saying, "Hey, look, like I'm not really sure what boxes you're looking to check with this girl, but like you're kind of gonna miss a whole bunch of things in your life if you don't." make a decision time to move yeah yep yep and that was amazing and it mostly came from the woman of that relationship of the of that marriage and she you know she just really impressed upon me a lot of things that i just never really understood as a 25 year old guy so um so we got engaged later that year and early that year january 2007 and got married on top of flat top because oh uh, yeah because that's the cool thing to do (laughs) no because in order for the Air Force to move any of Karen's personal belongings mm-hmm. or even really her herself, mm-hmm. she had to be legally tied to me. And so so we got married up on top of Flat Top with all of our Alaska friends, which, again, worked out amazingly because none of those friends were able to come to the the big church wedding that we had a few months later. But, um, but we got married, and then we moved with the Air Force down to Kentucky. Okay. Um, we had the big wedding, family, everybody ceremony down there uh, in in uh, Ohio, in Cincinnati, Ohio. Mm-hmm. And again, none of the Alaska friends could come, so it was really cool that we got to spend that time with them. But fast forward, spent three years in Kentucky, and this is where the time apart in college really was helpful mm-hmm. in that we started our married life, and one month into it, I was in survival school, and then the next month, I was deployed to Iraq. Wow. And through all the things that we had already gone through, it was really, really helpful and powerful to know that we could get through that, even right out of the gates in marriage. Um, So we got a yellow lab, and he was Karen's support buddy while I was gone, and that was great. But, um, But yeah, we spent that deployment apart, and then we did two more deployments in Kentucky, and that was tough. 
um, enough so that we decided that it was time to probably separate from the Air Force if we wanted to start a family. Okay. So we did that. Mm -hmm. Then we joined um, the Weather Service and started that job out in Medford, Oregon. Mm -hmm. We spent about two and a half years there. And then fast forward and we get back up to Alaska. We just felt like God was saying, hey, this is where you're meant to be. This mm -hmm. is where I want you to be. We, When we left Alaska, we thought there was no chance we were coming back. And uh, the call just kept getting stronger. Hmm. And Karen and I both would ask the question every six months. Yeah, like, right. hey. And at first it was like, no way. Are you kidding? Like, don't even bring that up. And slowly but surely, our hearts softened to the idea. And uh, yeah, we moved back up in May of 2013. And it was just about nine months later where we found our way to True North. Okay. Very good. Thank you. So you've been at True North since then. You said that's 2013. So the church at that point would have been two or three years old. Um, we've, we're now, we've crossed the, the, I don't know if you call it a, a checkpoint, a milestone, but we've made it to a decade. So uh, just broad strokes, Mike, talk to us a little bit about your time at True North. Um, maybe some of the things that for you and Karen have been valuable for you guys that have kept you at the church. And uh, I want to begin to transition into... Um, just getting to know your your faith and your um, your qualifications to some degree. I don't want this conversation to just be like you passing a verbal examination with me at all. We've done that, right? We've done, yep, <laughs> we've done written sure and verbal versions we, of that we, we sure with have. all the elders <laughs> to, to a point of exhaustion, I think. It's just appropriate. Um, but for the sake of those who may not have a chance to get to know you and your family between now and December to the degree that they want to, I want to give you a chance to to expose your faith a little bit. This isn't the Mike Ottenweller show. We're not trying to obviously make you out to be this perfect faith hero person, no. but we are excited to potentially have you join the elder team for a reason. And I want to speak to some of those things. So just talk to us about uh, time at True North between now and then, some growth maybe you've experienced and some things about the church that have been valuable to you guys. Yeah, for sure. Um, so we were with the church when we were back in Lusack Library and... Um, and we just felt at home um, with the congregation. Um, we were actually talking last Sunday about how many of those people are still a part of the church. And it's, I don't think it's very many. Yeah. Maybe a dozen yeah. uh, or so. And um, we just connected to, to the group, to the, to the body of believers. And, you know, we appreciated the preaching. I think the worship was good. Being in a library, you know, it was a little bit challenging at yeah. times. Not quite. <laughs> I've the heard best I've heard. acoustics yeah. of all time, but you know, and the child ministry, the kids ministry was, gosh, it was like ninety-five percent babies who were like under six months old. So it was just a ton of crying and changing diapers and stuff like that. But you could definitely tell that there was an energy, and it was a very youthful church. Um, it's it's been. It's been an interesting ride since then. Um, you know, so we, like I said, we had attended Change Point, but as we started to kind of grow deeper roots with True North, um, I don't think either of us really had intentions of surfing around any more churches, yeah. exploring any more churches. This yeah. is kind of where we landed, and we were excited about that. And so, uh, and so, fast forward to 2015. And, you know, we had everything go down with, with previous pastor and, um, that was both hard, but also really stabilizing and kind of, you know, 
kind of like when you're in the trenches with somebody and it's really bleak and you think, you know, things are not going to turn the way that you want them to turn. And, um, but you have each other to rely on. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's what the church experienced in that time in 2015. Um, the, the, the core of the church got stronger and tighter and connected deeper. And it was painful, but going through that painful experience together really, afforded us that opportunity to, to, to grow. Um, and yeah, I, I, I remember those, those moments and looking around and I never, I never felt that, that the church was going to close its doors or anything like that. I, I just knowing the body of believers and knowing the people who made up that body, because we use that phraseology so much, but knowing the people who made that up, I just didn't think that it would fold, you know, yeah. that it would close its doors. Yeah. And that was powerful. I mean, it was really, really cool. And then, you know, and then we brought on a new pastor and Jason and um, Jason and I were friends and we got to know each other really, really well. Um, you know, we would hike and run together mm-hmm. and stuff. And um, and it was great. But getting to watch the church select a new pastor and grow through that and come out of that dark phase and establish, you know, a finance team yeah. and establish things like that. So, you know, taking interest in those things allowed me to see kind of maybe instead of just being a person who sits in the seats on a Sunday and watches kind of at an arm's length, it allowed me to want to pull back the curtains a little bit and dig a little bit deeper yeah. and become more involved. And I think we're all called to do that. But there was an opportunity that was right in front of me mm-hmm. in that time. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I guess I kind of saw it as something that I should jump on and felt felt a prompting to get involved. Yeah. And for those that are listening who may be relatively new to the church, even if you've joined True North in the last three or four years, uh, I want to just quickly summarize what it is that Mike is alluding to. It's certainly not a secret at all. Uh, the planting founding pastor of True North uh, proved himself to be dishonest, and some of that dishonesty had to do with finances. And so Uh, around year five, between years five and six of the life of True North, uh, the leadership team in place was forced to uh, remove that pastor from authority and uh, to try to bring the church out of uh, some of the systems and philosophies that had been central on that one individual and instead distribute that authority and power more according to the Bible's prescription. And so uh, it was the second pastor whom, whom Mike named, Jason Lankford, who was able to uh, bring in eldership and allow the church to constitute right. and gain uh, bylaws and us to actually have membership. And so uh, credit to him for doing that work. Um, a lot of what I and the other elders that are currently at True North have been able to do is take that groundwork that he laid, uh, much of it in response to the damage done by the founding pastor, and really, I think, bring a richness and a, a robustness and some health to those kind of philosophies and platforms that were added. So so Mike was a part of that. He and his family were, were close enough to that pastor for that to not just be uh, procedurally frustrating as a church member, but there were some personal aspects of that for him as well. Uh, and again, if you're new to the church or if you don't know what's going on there and you'd like more information, you can certainly contact me or another elder. We'd be happy to talk you through that. Uh, but I want to make sure I, I put a little bit of um, muscle on the bones mm-hmm. that Mike mm-hmm. is very appropriately alluding to. So, Mike, you were a part of the uh, search committee 
that brought me to the church. Um, there's at least one really funny story about that, if you know what I'm thinking of regarding, I think your assignment was to go listen to my preaching and then yes. bring back a report. Can you tell us that story, please? Sure. <laughs> yeah, that's a great, uh, great story that I'm super proud of. Um, so we... <laughs> We were we were tasked as a search committee to you know to do a little homework on the the uh, applicants and you know so I have this guy P Coleman and I'm supposed to go and look up some of his sermons and take a listen. Well, kind of busy life, you know, got kids running around and I think I was out on a fire dispatch with the weather service and. So I'm like, all right, I'm going to see what I can find online, see what I can find on podcasts, and I, you know, dial up P. Coleman. And so I start listening to this guy, and, and I, I had a video, I think it was a video uh, that I was watching of him on YouTube or something, and it was from some church down south, and I was like, that's good enough, right? This, this has got to be the right guy. There's, there's this P. Coleman. So I'm watching it, and I'm like, man, this guy talking about having grown kids, this guy seems kind of old and... Yeah, he seems really wise, but this doesn't jive with what his resume showed. And so then, <laughs> we we finally have our first video interview with P. Coleman, and he pops up on the screen, and I was like, "That's not P. Coleman." <laughs> and he's like, "Hi, I'm Philip." Blah blah blah. And I, the whole interview for like the next ninety minutes, I am sitting there trying to reconcile these two things in my head of what I had seen and listened to. And then who this guy is and how the two of them marry up. I think it's probably better for you to give the conclusion of the story. Yeah, so uh, <clears throat> I, I, my name is Philip. It starts with P. And my last name is Coleman. Mike was correct about that. Uh, my dad's name is Paul. And it starts with P. And he is a teaching pastor at a church in East Texas. And that's who Mike was listening to, was my father uh, <laughs> preaching in my place. And my dad's a good communicator, so he probably got pretty good marks from Mike. But... Uh, not the same guy. What's ironic to me about that is in the, during the search process, the church that my dad works at was a partner of True North long before I was ever in the picture. And that's not even why I'm in the picture. It's a very long convoluted story of how I got connected to True North. But uh, my dad came to Alaska to help keep like the preaching going in the church while Jason, the previous pastor, had already moved on, and, and True North was looking for a new pastor who eventually we would find out would be me. So somehow, even though my dad was in play and, and might have even had met Mike at some point in that process, <laughs> Mike was expecting somebody much older and probably much wiser, uh, but he got me, and here we are. So I like that story. I think that's yeah, funny. Yeah, that's, that's definitely uh, one of my favorites. Yeah. So, Mike, let us let me bring us up to speed to kind of where we are today, and I want to take just the last five to ten minutes of, of this episode of the podcast. I appreciate you giving us that detail level of your life, because to me, that's the kind of story I would want to hear if you were coming to my house for dinner to hang out with me and my wife. That I want to know who you are. I want to know where you come from, shared experiences, your wife, you guys' story. That, to me, is as important in my understanding of your character and your background as is any answer you could give to any hard theological question that I have. But let's transition into that realm a little bit more. Let's go elder-specific here. Mm -hmm. um, and I'll speak for just a couple minutes on my perspective on this. I remember speaking with you possibly as early as late 2019, early 2020, uh, because we had had some public conversations. When I say we, I mean myself, Ian, Scott, and at the time we had a fourth active elder as well 
about wanting to grow our elder team because we projected that the membership of the church was going to be growing. And we just, there's only so much time that the three or four of us can devote to, you know, a few hundred people. And so in the course of those conversations, and I want to give you credit where it's due, you were always very appropriate, but there were some moments where you would kind of test the ice a little bit and say, and we're, we're good friends, so it was never weird. I never felt that you were like hinting at anything. You would just come right out and say, well, how does that work? And what are you guys looking for? And is age a big factor? Is age of kids a big factor? Is, you know, do I have to know the difference between being amillennial, premillennial, and postmillennial to be a local church elder? And so in the course of those conversations, it was always apparent to me that there was at least interest on your part. Uh, but from what you've told me, it really seems like the last 18 months, that interest and maybe even that open-mindedness to what could be has birthed a, not just a willingness, but an eagerness in you. Um, the Apostle Paul, in writing to Timothy in his first letter to Timothy in chapter 3, he lays out elder qualifications. It's one of two places in the New Testament that Paul does that. And the very first thing that he says to Timothy is, if you meet somebody who aspires to be an elder, that's a good aspiration. And I think some of us who maybe have navigated young men who want leadership for the wrong reasons, we tend to be a little bit wary and maybe even overly careful in a way that's not helpful in regarding those who are interested in leadership positions. I think it's important to come back to the Bible's perspective and realize that, yeah, it's not a bad thing. It doesn't necessarily equal pride, negative bad pride in a man's life for him to be speaking up and saying, hey, is this an opportunity? What do I need to do? I think that what has to come with that self-confidence that's willing to ask those questions is the humility to receive honest answers and not get your feelings hurt and run away and us never see you again. Um, and Because that happens, and that's that's happened in my experience in churches, at in other parachurch ministries I've been a part of. So I want to give credit where it's due. Um, in December of 2020, as we always do at Covenant Member Meetings, we asked the church for any recommendations for potential elder candidates. And uh, we did that with a written form. We received two different submissions uh, that recommended that we begin exploring this idea with you. Uh, and I have those, and the the things those people said about you were very strong, very encouraging uh, indicators of your maturity and your faith and, and leadership and gentleness and kindness. Um, and a thing that we've been praying about internally as, as current elders, me and Scott and Ian, is that God would bring some men onto our team who have a different personality type from us, because all three of us are pretty type A, classically, get it done, be in charge, comfortable with conflict people. We've worked hard to balance each other and to be very careful and temperate, but we hear all the time that we're just, we're very tall. <laughs> all of us are very tall. We're very serious. We're very direct, and that can be intimidating. And so we'd hoped that God would bring some candidates who would potentially begin to provide a little more balance from the personality aspect. And so a lot of things aligned from my perspective when your name was recommended. We approached you, I think, in late September and set up our first meeting with you in early January and have met with you, I would say, between every four and six weeks since then, through through the beginning of the month of June. Um, you and your wife both have been willing to submit to our authority. There have been some recommendations that we've made at different points, places where we've said, hey, the church sees good things in you, and they obviously feel that you have the potential to do this. It's our responsibility to hold your life up against the biblical qualifications. And then where we see deficits it's not that we're going to rubber stamp you or deny you forever, but we are responsible because you've inquired to let you know places where we would like to see some growth. And there's two levels to that. There's the growth in the area that we're recommending itself, which is very helpful, but there's also just the basic humility to receive that feedback. So I want to give you credit, and then I'm going to let you speak again for a few minutes here. Um, I feel that that has been like 
probably the greatest strength that you've shown in this process. I mean, yeah, the tenacity to stick with it is important, but the humility to receive correction from people who in a social setting are your peers, me and Ian are both good friends of yours in a social setting, and from at least one person who's younger than you. I think Ian and I are both a few years younger than you, and that takes some humility too. Obviously, we're elders, we're speaking from that position of authority, trying to derive that authority from the Bible, but that's not easy for every man to do, especially a guy who's worked in the federal government, who's worked in the military, where office and rank are important, age and seniority are important. You've demonstrated a ton of humility. So that's my side of the coin. Um, I'm not at all trying to convince anybody in the church to do anything. I think church members should pray a lot about this. That's why we're trying to give them a good six months to really work through this. Mm -hmm. They should ask you questions. They should approach the elders with their concerns. Please do that if you're listening to this. Mm -hmm. we're, not gonna, we're not gonna label you as a troublemaker at all. We really wanna know what you think and how you're feeling and what you're processing. But Mike, if you could just take a couple of minutes and speak to your experience through this process, and if you could specifically highlight even just one, and I'm not thinking of anything here, I just want you to, to, to speak from the heart here, what is maybe one area where you've benefited, if you've benefited just from the process alone, an area where you've been able to tighten something up or change something, or you've, you've done a little bit of um, learning about yourself as we've spoken into your life? So take yeah. it away, my, yeah. my brother. What do you think? Yeah, So so... To give a little bit more context to the background of all that is that there was promptings along the way, even before Philip came on board for True North, uh, there was promptings along the way. Uh, and I was just talking to my hiking partner the last couple of days about this. Uh, you know, every six months or so, I would get this nudge. And, you know, Ian and I, like Philip said, close friends, we were out hunting and, uh, you know, we were talking about this in depth and he was the lone elder at the time. And just bearing a huge amount of responsibility. And I remember we had just great conversations exploring that. Fast forward and, and Phillip's on board. And the prompting comes along again in late 2020 in the midst of everything else with the pandemic and everything else. And I'm like, man, you know, like I, I it, this was kind of the final straw. Like it just felt like it was becoming on the order of disobedience to not follow that prompting any further than just a conversation with Karen. And so that's when I reached out to Philip and just said, hey, let's talk about this. And I think we exchanged a couple texts, and this is kind of humorous, in that we exchanged these texts, and he wanted to know what I wanted to talk about. I said, hey, can we grab some coffee? And he's like, what do you want to talk about? And I was like, I don't really want to tell you what I want to talk about. Can we just go get <laughs> coffee? And he's like, just give me one word. And I said, eldership. And he goes, I knew it, or something along those lines. So I did not want to open it up over text because it is it is a big topic and it is you know sensitive, sensitive yep. and it requires a lot and so yeah I think one thing I mean probably a lot of things but I'll try to I'll try to narrow it down to maybe one or two things that I've felt through this process is the uh, intentionality of our current team of elders and I. <laughs> I, I think Karen and I have talked about this many, many times, but we have both been so impressed with the intentionality for not having brought on a new elder for quite some time, for a couple years now. Mm -hmm. um, the intentionality and the thoroughness which the, the current team has gone through this process has been, it, it has kept us engaged in the process because we see a genuineness and an authenticity to it. Um, so that's one aspect. And, and yes, that thoroughness, you know, it, it, it is a little exhaustive at times and that's, <laughs> that's good. Like Philip says, but yes, it doesn't mean that it's not exhaustive when you have to write out answers to, you know, on the order of 90 questions. Mm -hmm. But, um, 
Also, voice-to-text does not do very well with theological things, just in case you're wondering about that. <laughs> um, so, so the other aspect of it that really was helpful to me was knowing how all three of our current elders came at it from a place of love. Mm-hmm. So even when they were providing that feedback, it never felt disingenuine or it never felt there was an element of pride at play or that there was an attack or, hey, gotcha kind of thing. It always felt, even if I wasn't pursuing eldership or even if I wasn't uh, personal friends with, with them, it felt that they were genuinely interested in my heart and in my family and in my marriage. And that's that was huge to keep me invested, to to keep me you know, throughout the whole process to, to, to make it so that it was easy to not easy, but it was, it seemed simple to continue to walk down that path because I think that ultimately the Holy Spirit was involved in all Mm -hmm. of it. And those conversations were being fueled through the Holy Spirit. And so I wanted to, you know, just like anytime you feel God moving, you want to stay, stay in that current. And, and so it, yeah, it was, they were tough things, um, to hear, but when you hear them in brotherly love, they become things that you need to hear and they become things that you want to look at hard in your own life. And I don't think that there's any better, you know, lens that we have on this earth that can do those kind of things for you, whether it's your sisters in Christ or your brothers in Christ, when you have that type of relationship, it bears fruit that is really of a supernatural order. Absolutely. Well, Mike, that's about all the time we have today. I really think we could probably spend another hour talking about this and getting into the weeds of your experience, and especially in the coming months as we have a chance to hear from the church. I'm so excited to learn about our congregation uh, based on the feedback and the insight that we get from different individuals. To that end, church, if you have any specific questions for Mike and Karen, you are obviously more than welcome to take those questions to them. If there are parts of today's discussion with Mike that you felt like Maybe we just began to scrape the surface or touch the tip of the iceberg, and you want to hear more about that, a season of Mike's life, part of his marriage, uh, his theological perspective on an issue, the eldership process for him. Uh, I think we'd be more than happy to have Mike back on in the next few months. We've got a six-month window between now and when the church will ultimately vote to ordain him or not. Uh, So just let us know. You can always email us at info, I-N-F-O, at truenorthalaska.com. If you'll use the subject line podcast questions, that'll just help us get to your email faster. Um, Next week, we're going to be sitting down, I say we, I'll be sitting down with Tom Carlson, who is a member of the Vision Implementation Team. We're going to talk through some of the insight that we've received based on the first three principles of the vision of our church, some of the recommendations the church has has given, excuse me, how's that process working and how can you get involved? So I hope you'll take time to tune into that. Uh, We love you, church. We are here for you, and we hope that this has been an encouragement. We'll see you soon.